Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 504 with Mike Ledesma of Perch. You can't unquantify somebody as being an investor. You don't know. So I've marketed myself to everybody and in hopes of raising capital. And it just happened. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Mike Ledesma. Mike, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. I'm building a restaurant on my dreams after 16 years. I haven't stopped yet, and I'm not yeah. going to. Nice. That's what we like to hear. So before I introduce you uh, in more depth, Real quick shout out to Aloft Hotel for putting me up in Richmond. Uh, crazy seven days they were putting me up. It's incredible. Just proof that if you get out there and you live to serve, uh, the universe will provide the means for you to do it. So uh, while growing up in Hawaii, Ledesma fell in love with Filipino foods and was influenced by Japanese chefs. After getting a degree in finance from Townsend University, he worked as a stockbroker in the 90s and learned operational aspects of business before making the pivot from behind the desk to behind the oven range. After about 20 years in multiple chef roles, Ledesma served as executive chef for Richmond Restaurant Group's six restaurants. Today, Ledesma has broke off to tackle his own solo project, Perch, which is scheduled to open in early August. I can't wait to get your story. I can't wait to dive into who you are and what you're all about, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? My success quote is called push yourself <clears throat> and I put it everywhere and just, it's a self-motivation quote. I have it on my hat right here. <laughs> it's underneath. We're looking at the hat right now. Custom made, push yourself. I think everything is done for a reason. Uh, the, the moments in time of trying to figure out if it's hard, you should do it. Nice. That's a great way uh, to get this thing started. And really nobody else but yourself is going to really push you. You've got to make that decision to take it to the next level. That's correct. I love it. So let's take it to where it all started for you. Uh, when did you know that you were going to make your career in hospitality? I was in Hawaii and I decided to change careers. But prior to that, I was like in the office in a cubicle and I was like, I need to change the pace. I hate driving around the beltway. Um, let's go to Hawaii. Let's do some surfing, figure it all out. A uh, big wave barreled down. I was like, Oh man, this is going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> uh, next day I signed up for culinary school. Okay. So this is after being a broker. This is after, uh, this is, you know, I was in between, I was working at bank of Hawaii. I was, uh, working at Morgan Stanley. I was, you know, paying bills and you know, trying to enjoy life. And I was just thinking there's got to be more out there. There's yeah. got to be something where I can put my passion that I actually like the, my coworkers. Yeah. Uh, like, take us, take us to where you were at that time as far as 
where you were emotionally in your job as uh, in corporate or yeah. finance? Um, my, my job was to service clients, raise money, raise capital, uh, take, take financial analyst information, transfer it and make it, you know, Oh, this is a strong buy. Let's, let's, let's put all our positions in this, in this stock. After a while, you just, you just get bored. I'm bored. I got bored. I was <laughs> yeah. bored. I want, I want, I wanted to figure it out. And I, you know, I was getting tired of it. Then it crashed. And then I had to make phone calls. Like you lost $200,000, Mr. Smith. You have to go back to work. And that, that was tough. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, lost a little bit of sleep that those nights partied a little too hard back in the nineties. Yeah. But, uh, as we all did, <laughs> you know, at a certain point you just, you just kind of have to figure out there's something more out there and it's, it's a soul search. You have to figure out what are you going to spend 10,000 hours being passionate about? And it wasn't reading financial. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I, I'd be really surprised if you didn't learn anything of significance during that time that can be applied to the restaurant. Industry. Absolutely. I learned about commodities, you know, pork belly, the price of oil, the price of, you know, what, what is the exchange rates of, you know, ROI, return on investment, return on equity, PE ratios. And everything that I learned in finance is applicable to the restaurant business because Mm -hmm. restaurants are a business and it's um, fast paced. So you have to be really fast with your decisions. Okay. Maybe as the conversation unfolds and we start talking about uh, different roles you're taking within the industry, we can kind of pull back some of these financial lessons. Absolutely. For sure. Um, so you made this decision. Uh, you enrolled in a culinary school. Uh, any significant mentors? In uh, yes. Chef Leek, he was trained with Andre Soltner at the CIA, <clears throat> worked in New York, uh, transplanted to Hawaii, and ended up being a culinary instructor there toughest guy i've ever met you know six two you come into a class without an iron shirt he'd send you out dirty apron send you home my shirt's not too iron right <laughs> he was like <laughs> you know he really set the foundation to yeah. my culinary career by having these high standards and you know i would touch base with him like what should i be doing he actually got me into the greenbrier apprenticeship program oh, wow. he's he sponsored me and you know, he's like, you want to go to little, the inner little Washington? You want to go you know, New York? You want to go Greenbrier? Where were you at the, when were you at the Greenbrier? I was at, I was there in 2004. Do you know Chef Hal Holden? Chef Hal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's the past guest on the show. He yeah. had great things to say. Uh, so what was the, the, the lesson you think, the biggest lesson you took from this mentor? This mentor, it, um, he showed me a way to get through it and know that it is your standards alone that will propel you to success in the culinary industry. So how do you, how do you hold to those standards every day? What, what is it a mental thing? How do you show up keeping these standards? Do you ever want to cut corners? No, I do want to cut, you know, sometimes you have to cut corners, but that's like last resort. You, you always know that there is a different way, the wrong way to do things. And then it is holding yourself to those standards every day. It is, it's not, um, it's not tangible. It's just what you want out of this career. It's not, it's, it's by choice. Definitely. You get it. You get out what you put in. Yes, it is. Uh, So there's a mental checklist every day of what needs to happen. They're like, why don't you have nuts? I've been doing this mental checklist every day for the last 16 years. (laughs) Wait, you know, like, why do you like wearing the chef jacket everywhere? It's like, because now I'm ready to cook. All I got is put a clean apron on and I'm ready to go. Yeah. And I'm curious, um, how old were you when you made this, this pivot in your, in your life? I was 30, 30 years old. Wow. 30. So 30 years old. Um, how, how do you think you took that approach to school going in, 
do to school when you're 30 years old versus say if oh it sucked like <laughs> well think about how much more serious you took it yeah i mean you're, i bet you're like lapping the kids you're in class with yeah it was la- i mean the, <laughs> as far as like the dedication in the well dedication i mean you're going to school in hawaii so there's definitely a lot of distractions yeah, yeah, so you're sure. just kind of like all right well i'm going to do the best that i can and then you know you do the school work and then you work at a restaurant to you know you know reinforce your school work yeah so it's like, all right. Just take a different approach. You do, you're at a, such a different level of maturity in that 10 years. Yes. For yes. sure. I mean, because I when I went back to school for marketing and hospitality, I was 26. And I was that kid that was like in like the teacher's office. And I was like in all their offices. Like you take advantage of it. Like you're always talking to them. You're always picking the brain. Oh, yeah. You're always asking for advice. And I, I did not do that when I was 18 going mm-hmm. into aviation school. I'll tell you that much. Um Anyway, uh, what do you think it was about you that made him want to connect you with all these right places? I, I ended up being valedictorian at. Oh, well, I'll do it. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, like the first thing you go to the, the the office and you're like, "How do I get an A?" And they're like, "Well, these are the points possible. You need to score this." And I'm like, "All right, so I'm going to score that, and then I want a little cushion just in just in case." Yeah, because there's always something that goes wrong. And he just saw my drive. He's like, "I was like." who should I volunteer with? He's like, work with Roy Yamaguchi, work with, you know, chef Rafi from Atlanta, work with these guys that come to visit to Hawaii to do cooking shows. I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And then he's like, you know, he just, he just saw that I would show up and show up and do what I was told to do. The reason why I'm going deeper on this is because I had a a hunch that, you know, there was a little something extra there and you can't just go get a culinary degree and expect to have your professors serve you up these incredible jobs, these incredible opportunities. You've got to, you get out what you put in. And, and, um, I mean, that's that your story is just a perfect example of that. So, uh, you know, what are you willing to do to, to get yeah, to where you want to be? Right. You know, seven bucks an hour. <laughs> you were, he goes, don't work with that guy. And then I was like, well, you know, he's getting all these great write-ups and I worked with that guy and he would do sketchy stuff. Yeah. So let's, let's move on. That's cause uh, we still have a lot of uh, career. Ahead oh yeah, of us. absolutely. Uh, so moving on, uh, who was the next mentor? The, the person that you think not necessarily chronologically, well, I want to stay chronological, but we can skip over people if you want. Uh, who was the, the next person that had the biggest influence on you as a chef? Oh, my, my uncle that owns a, he owns a, um, a banquet hall and he used to own a restaurant. And then I, I went to him and he was like, uncle, um, what's the deal with the restaurant? Should I stay in? And he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> do not stay in the restaurant business, but if you're going to, here's what you should do. And so, you know, uncle Dennis, you really drove me to be better than you expected. Cause he's like, a hundred percent failure. So you asked if you want, if you should stay in the restaurant business. And he said, he no, said, absolutely not. But yeah. if you're going to, here's what you should do. Yeah. And what was that advice? Uh, don't do what I did. What did he do? <laughs> he had opened a small restaurant. He, he didn't do the, the mainstream. He did what he wanted. And so that failed. Mm-hmm. And so he said, do your homework, cook, cook for people that can afford to lose the money to open a restaurant. Yeah. And so taking that into advice and he's like, well, the reason why I'm in the banquet industry is because people get married. There's always graduations. Now they have a spot. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed me the risks versus reward in the, in the hospitality industry. He, he was a bit, he's a business guy. He's, he's a hustler. Yeah. So now you are, I mean, not to like totally fast forward 20 years, but now you are doing your own thing. So I'll be kind of curious as to maybe we can put that on the back burner for now, but I want to make sure we come back to that because 
Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's huge. It's like I'm tempted <laughs> to go there now. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, <laughs> I mean the Asian being, you know, Filipino, you you have to be an accountant, a nurse, a doctor. I mean, all my, you know, you had to be the best of the best. And you know, there was a couple of years there where my parents were just wrote me up, you know, like, oh, you know, you're, you're cooking. You're saying the culture of what's expected from you. you have exactly. To do these things. Yeah. So, you know, it was five years into this cooking, making salads and becoming, you know, the chef that I wanted to be. And then they, they finally realized that I'm not going to stop until I'm at the top yeah. of my game. Let's, let's put this thought of you doing now breaking off and doing your own thing against your, uh, your father's or your father's, your uncle's, uh, advice. But at the same time, um, you did take his advice and you went and you were, you were for other people. You sharpened the sword. You learned, you, you yes. lost other people's money. You fine tuned, you got clarity on your vision and what you wanted to do yes. on other, somebody else's dollar, which is incredible advice. So, uh, were you thinking intentionally? Like what was, what was driving you where you you're going to get these jobs? Uh, the, you know what, in, in Maryland, you know, like cooking for spike at, at the Woodbury kitchen, I was just seeing you know, what, what does it take to be number one best restaurant in Baltimore? It's a, you know, large market. We were, you know, cooking out of wood fire oven. We were, we were, you know, being recognized. And so I wanted to see that. And then I wanted to see how the corporate side did it. So I went, you know, I was looking around. So I worked with uh, Roy Yamaguchi again. He had a, uh, he worked, he had a restaurant in Inner Harbor and that was, um, owned by OSI, which is Outback Steaks, which is Fleming's. And so I wanted to see that, that culture. I got tired of Baltimore, I guess. I, I was trying to make calculated risks at that point and then ended up doing a, a circle, 200-mile circle around Baltimore. And I figured that if I could capture a place that could I could make a mistake and still survive, the cost of living, if I made you know, 55,000 in DC versus 55,000 in Richmond, which would, yeah. which would suck less. <laughs> right. Um, so I want to go a little bit deeper here. You said you, you wanted, you first, you want to get into the, the, the world of being recognized, the, the industry, what, what were, what, you said it was Spike? Yeah. Spike at Woodbury kitchen. Okay. So he what just won a uh, James Beard. Well, he was aiming for James Beard. He had the best restaurant. He was in Bon Appetit. Okay. What, 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 what I learned there is what does it take to be at that level? What does it take to be at that level? Uh, marketing dollars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, what, so beyond the marketing dollars, what about uh, like the actual human element? The human element, you have to have a lot of people committed to dining at your restaurant. You have to excel at that, at that rate. You have to be able to be consistent with the two, 300 covers that you're going to do that night. Uh, you're always developing cooks. You're trying to find talent. Always looking for the the next the next thing. Uh, also working with local and sustainable products. So there was a lot of there's a lot of learning things that I took from that aspect. So you weren't trying to find the next talent. You were the talent at this time, right? He was trying to find you. Yes. Okay. So what did you observe from this guy where he was able to make the time to find the talent? Like how how did he? go about doing that were you did you observe think, it i think at that time there wasn't that many restaurants to to execute that it's, the that market level. is definitely more comp- competitive than it is today yeah or then yeah yeah um, back then it was you know that was uh charleston with cindy wolf and him 
Yeah. I said that backwards. The market today is much more competitive than That's it was then. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you also mentioned something else too, um, which I kind of am really happy that you're getting honest here. Uh, you know, you can do all these things. You can have the consistency. You can attract onto yourself the right people. But even that's not enough. You need the marketing dollars. That is correct. Yes. So That's what I learned. <laughs> yeah. So uh, take us through that lesson. The lesson was, um, I kind of burned that bridge, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you burnt that bridge? Um, I was just kind of like, you know, you, we cook so many foods and we do develop these recipes and we had a, a meeting one time and I was sitting there and he was, you know, being a jerk. And I was like, I, I don't want to work with you anymore. <laughs> I learned, I learned what I had to learn and I was just like, ah, you know, I'm done. So he was being a jerk in what regard? I was just, it felt very, for me at that point, I felt very, um, soulless. Mm. Like it was just for something that I didn't believe in. And when that happens, it's like, so you, this is the restaurant that you went to, to get the recognized the yeah, recognition, to do the work that resonated with you. Yeah. But it didn't work out that way. I don't know why hmm. I was just kind of like, yeah, it's great, but I don't really, I, I'm not, it's a, it was a sh- more of a show for me. Okay. So there was there a facade, would you say? It was, but that was, you know, I don't want you to talk seven, trash on anybody. I, I, I know it's, I, it's, small it's, market. it's tough. It's a tough, yeah. tough market. But I you know, you. I can honestly say he, he says that I have never worked with him. So it's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it never really happened. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you left this place. You said you went to a group that was more of the, of the corporate scene, right? Was that, that's was correct. The, was it the Outback that I hear? Yeah, that was uh Roy's. So from Roy's to Woodbury, Woodbury to Leland's Leland was my first executive chef job. Okay. And what did you learn from this experience? Uh, that was a uh, casual dining restaurant, and I wanted to cook fine dining food. And what I learned from that was how do you create a market that wants to spend $26 on a, a piece of duck versus $10 on a hot, on a hot dog hamburger? So basically, your, your, your technique, your style wasn't in the right the right place oh i made it <laughs> i made that? it, I, made it. I, I, I put a garden out in the parking lot like a 200 square foot garden i grew my own stuff i <laughs> nice. I, I, I pushed these people like I, we're gonna we're gonna cook good food we're gonna do the best we can we're gonna do cooking competitions we're gonna get all, we're gonna get some media and that was with a, a corporate casual dining restaurant that was a ca- casual dining restaurant well how did the market receive that it was i got a raise <laughs> <laughs> all right but, but you didn't a, you didn't like nobody made you do that kind no of stuff. no you no took the bull by the horn yeah you have to i mean that's the 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 main reason why you do you make these harsh decisions but hopefully you re- re- rebound what was the success, the success quote you let, you dropped on us in the beginning uh, push yourself yeah yeah push yourself <laughs> oh man i made a mistake I, I don't i don't see my my future at this restaurant let's move on let's keep on keep it going. Okay. So, I mean, you, you touched on a lot of different restaurants, even from after Roy's to, uh, join the team, um, with the most recent restaurant group. That was only two years, right? Correct. So take me along this, this journey and, and really bring me to the place of where you think you grew the most. I grew the most when you, when I moved from Maryland to Richmond, Virginia, and I had to start from scratch, no, no knowing no one, uh, going to a new market, working for a restaurant group, being the executive chef in Southside, which is the suburbs of Richmond. Okay. What year is this? This is six years ago. Six years ago. Okay. Six years ago. Uh, they, they transplanted me. They gave me a little stipend to get here. And uh, it was uh, a leap of faith. 
So real quick, before we talk about the person you were six years ago and how you started transforming this major transformation, who were you before that? I was sound like you're a pretty badass chef even prior to this point. I was angry. I mean, we worked, I mean, I did my, my apprenticeship at the Greenbrier at that point, And then I went to the Baltimore country club and worked for Belmont. Um, it was a uh, high security level place. It was cool. I've cooked for the generals of the Fort Meade and they had tasters and snipers all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I got some good stories. <laughs> Wait, so what? Is the, you, Belmont is the general of Fort Meade. Uh, the Belmont is a. Um, it was a house from the 1800s okay. that was part of the Underground Railroad, okay. and they had a they had a, a kitchen that they had a chef and a sous chef. Okay, and we would just cook whatever we wanted to do. And who who are you cooking for? I was cooking for the chef or. Well, no, uh, the people that you're cooking for. The oh, that was a uh, restaurant, the Belmont. Yeah, the Belmont. Oh, okay. It was a. It's just like this little hidden restaurant. Okay. There was dignitaries. There was, um, you know, they had parties there. Like to get into this party, you had to have a million dollars in your bank account. Jesus. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And why weren't you happy here? I was for a little bit, but then just distract. I mean, I wanted more people to taste the food that I'm cooking. I think you, at a certain point in your your life, it's like I don't want to just cook for a certain amount of people. I want to cook for the masses. Mm-hmm. I want to increase their, their palate education. Mm-hmm. I want it to grow. I want to grow faster. I don't want to just cook for the segment of the population. I want to cook oh, for the masses. Yeah. I mentioned that segment that you're cooking for these people that have to have a million dollars. Yes. <laughs> they're going to appreciate what you're putting in front of them. I think they're used to it. I think it's, it's, it's not, just, it's, it's all relative for them. It's just yeah. another day. It's just it's, another meal. It's foie gras every, you know, every other day or yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're never going to finish it. They're just going to like put it in their mouth and just go and continue on with the conversation. They're not going to yeah. stop to, to yeah. appreciate because they're just, they've been so just, yeah. I don't know. What's the word? Uh, exposed to it for so yeah, long. It's their norm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, so I think at that point, you know, after that I went to the Baltimore country club and I, I felt similar to that. Got in an argument, heated argument with the executive chef about food. Uh, I quit. You're fired sort of deal. <laughs> Again, it's, it's, it's like what was that argument. It was, um, you're in the office all the time. You're just making Excel spreadsheets and I'm out here cooking good food. How do you feel now about now? You can't even cook on the line. What's wrong with you? So now I never, now I'm like always on the line. Like I'll, I can cook like you. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, there is something to be learned about, uh, working on the business and not in the business, right? Yes. As the executive chef role. That's correct. That argument, your, your argument then, would you have that same argument now? Mm, Not, not as vocal. Cause I was younger. (laughs) I was, I was young and hungry and, and, and now I'd be like, okay, Here's my two weeks. Let's be yeah. let's be very respectful. But at the same time, too, you you have to get down there. You have to stand shoulder to shoulder with your people every once in a while and that's show right. them that you're willing to work just as hard, if not harder. Than I they mean, are. that's 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 the role of a chef. You're the leader. You're washing dishes when the dishwasher calls out. You're you're cooking on saute or grill. You're making salads. You're shucking oysters. You better be faster than everyone else because they're looking up to you. Yeah. So how do you get it? It's repetition. It's repetition of your your soul as a chef. Mm-hmm. You have to figure it out. How, how efficient you are is how, how you move. Like, yeah. what's your pivot point? What's your, how do you set your station? Do you set it for me or do you set it for yourself? Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about the inner workings of who, you've, who you are and what your values are up to this point. But we haven't really talked about some of the business lessons you've learned. Any business lessons that we skipped over that are worth diving into before kind of talking about the six-year-ago transformation you went through? Yeah, well, going into Perch RVA, we are... We're using that business aspect of, you know, the commodities, the rate of the rate of return. And we're using the the, the core prices in in being able to be sustainable as a business. 
Uh, really, really interesting fact that chefs are very artistic, but not very good business people. So we, you know, I'm trying to. Insti- but you had that business background. Yes, and I'm trying to teach my chefs how to be business people because I know they can cook. Okay. I, and I tell everyone that cooking is the easiest, easiest part of our business because. That's the natural part. It's the natural part. Yeah. The unnatural part is, you know, crunching a PL and and figuring out the, your cost basis and trying to f- create a menu that can execute consistently with the right amount of dollars mm-hmm. <laughs> to keep your business afloat. I mean, we can't, I mean, that's a whole uh, hour conversation. It is. Me, I mean, there's like, you know, the price of commodities. Why, why don't you change your prices when the commodity of beef goes up 20%? Why are we still... Why are we still charging twenty percent less? So, what's the secret to, to stay on top of? That? How do you how do you stay fluid? You have to you have to create balance in your menu. You have to develop your menu with the staff that you have, and then grow your menu with the staff that you have. Okay, so dive into that. What do you mean by create balance with your menu and grow your menu? With the so the the balance of it is you you hire your staff, but they all have different skill levels, skill levels and strengths and weaknesses. So you kind of have to develop a menu that they can execute. Mm. And then we build that that foundation, and then we change the menu. So they increase their their skill set, so the, the the dish gets harder. Yeah. And then at that point, they can either, you know, move up, create menus, or start their own business. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to train them to be chefs. To, all right, this is this is how we do it. <laughs> Okay. And it's it's working. Yeah. So I mean, there's so many variables uh, w- when we're designing a menu that we have to take into account. That's not correct. Just, not just the cost. Not just is this is going to hit my target market. Not just uh, you know somebody coming in here. Yeah. Let me just. <laughs> Sorry for a second. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Did you say 15 minutes? 15 minutes. Ooh, that's gonna be. Um, we go somewhere else? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, so I'm getting into it, though. I know, right? It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we just had to take a quick break because we're in a conference room and somebody tried to come in. And we might have to relocate to finish this conversation, but we'll do whatever it takes because yeah. we're unstoppable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the thought we were talking about, basically... Uh, just so many considerable uh, considerations when de- design this menu and you got to take your skill level of, of your team into account and you got to grow the menu with them. Um, any other thoughts before moving on? That, that mean that, um, so now like Filipino cuisine, I'm tr- trying to teach my, my guys now about Filipino cuisine. Not too many Filipinos in my kitchen right now. <laughs> um, the, it's the balance of flavors. Um, I am learning each one of their palates at this point. We go out to tastings, we go, we cook food together, and then I, I try to figure out where you are on your scale of saltiness, sweetness, and sourness. And it's crazy because you have to figure out your each cook's weakness and strengths, and then you have to design it also with the rest of the, the kitchen. Yeah, The kitchen design is really important so that we can oversee what's happening yeah man that's yeah, interesting it's it's a it's an art it's a formula so we just kind of came full circle on that thought um do you want to take a break now to uh relocate and we these folks can move in here when they were scheduled to and then we can find a spot and just finish up without without having to sure all right cool. let's let's figure something out <laughs> yeah I, i'm sorry I'm, about that don't worry about it i'm good i have a i got two hours until my next interview so we can awesome out. all right so I'm so- all right. So we just broke down and reset up, and I think that was uh, I think I just broke a record on uh, restaurant stuff. Awesome. Set up, break down, and reset <laughs> back up, and we, we we shifted over here to a shared space. Um, and uh, what we were just talking about uh, basically uh, was like this this big lesson that you dropped on us about 
using or, or uh, modifying the menu to kind of go and correspond with the team you have on hand. Uh, so that was the big lesson you dropped on us. And I think the, the plan was for you to talk to us about uh, this big transformative or transformative time in your life when you went six years ago from, uh, I, I'll let you take it from there, basically. Going, you know, coming from Maryland and trying to figure out a place to go, I was trying to draw back on what I, I realized a long time ago is you have to use a formula. <clears throat> and that formula was a, a model that we used in finance. was called CAPM. It's a capital asset pricing method. And with more risk, there's more reward. So is this that a new restaurant that you're using this formula? Did you leave someplace or is this at the restaurant? Where this is, a, I, was, I, l- I learned my lesson at Leland's and I wanted to move forward and I had to try to figure out what, how do I figure out the place where I want to live? And how, and so the risk versus reward being that if I was in, if I was making $55,000 as an executive chef in DC, what is the, the dollar amount? as making 55,000 in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. And so, you know, that's like, that's a financial background. That's the risk you, you take. And what is the, the markability of a chef in Richmond, Virginia versus DC, um, taking into account all the different, um, demographics, density of people. And you're, and you're just trying to figure out where can I make a difference? Okay. So you're at this point. So what was going through your mind? Where were you emotionally? Were you, were you feeling like you couldn't make a difference where you were? I, I feel like I was, a. uh, a uh, small fish in a big pond. Yeah. And so I wanted to make a difference. You know, I had to figure out how, how to do that and to do it on a, on a smaller scale and then try to do it with a restaurant group that had the resources. So that, okay. that was just, just like, so you yeah. took a, like two or three steps back and you got really yeah. uh, curious. How did you do the research to find the right place? I, I figured that I had to take a couple steps back in the cuisine again because when I went to become an executive chef, as I said before, I was cooking burgers and whatever, you know, quesadillas to make it a fine dining. Yeah. So I figured I had to go backwards another couple steps in cuisine and cook seafood out of a steamer and, yeah. and steaks and easy stuff. To move forward again. So it's always like taking two steps back to go two steps forward. But you're going to move forward in a market that could, that could give you a sense of uh, autonomy, maybe? It was hope. You, you, you know, you're hopeful that you make the right decisions and you look at the, the numbers. You're like, oh, God, this might be bad. But um, you build the relationships and you figure out you know, what, what part of the market you're going to sustain. Yeah. And this, this thought process, uh, is called CAPM. CAPM. And what's that stand for again? Uh, capital asset pricing method. Okay. It's and a risk, risk versus re- reward model, higher risk, higher reward, low risk, low reward. Okay. So what would your advice for somebody who's kind of feeling like you felt, uh, and they want to do a CAPM, uh, approach to life where, where do you start with that uh you just have to look for your tolerance of pain okay. <laughs> if you can uh, if you can handle pain and if you can handle financial um burdens and if you can you know always look at the, the worst case scenario what if you lose your job if you're making you know 16 dollars an hour in dc and you lose your job you're homeless if you you know if you're doing 16 dollars an hour in that area the, the cost of living is a little bit cheaper you can sustain for about two weeks before you're out of, out of a yeah. house. But there's also some variables I feel like you need to consider too. So if you're like a young chef uh, who's straight out of culinary school or you didn't even go to culinary school, but mm-hmm. you're in the position to work with, say, like, or live with maybe like five other chefs and, you know, get that experience. Because these markets that we're talking about, the New Yorks, the Washingtons, oh, huge the markets. Los Angeles, is like that's where we can find the chefs that really teach us something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe not so much anymore, though, because I feel like really there's incredible chefs increasingly all over the place because they're they're taking the CAPM 
approach and they're going to smaller cities. Exactly. So yeah. you're seeing really great chefs in small towns because they can sustain their, their art without having the, the $10,000 a month rent. Yeah, and their, their quality of life is much better. Quality of life. They have a yard. They're, they're spending time with their family. I mean, that's the balance of it all. It's balance. It's that's that risk versus reward. So you kind of had to like basically pull yourself out of one market and replant yourself in another market that's and start correct. from scratch. That's correct. So with all this, there's a, I'm actually really excited to take the conversation from here because you had now 10 years of experience. That's correct. 12 years of experience. Yeah, yeah. You had a come up, a whole come up that you, you know, you got to pretty much the, you know, as high as you could get in one market almost. Right. Yeah. And then you had to start from the bottom again. So with yeah. this new, with all this experience of go, going through the come up and having to go through the come up again, how'd you do it differently the second time? I in felt the smaller you know, market. like in the smaller market, I, I felt like the underdog, like people had these relationships that are already pre-existing. How do you, how do you integrate yourself into a market that's pre-existing is you have to give back. You have to train, you have to have people become your, your marketing. I mean, I, can't, I didn't have any money for marketing, so I had to have people talk about. So you have to have your people become your marketing. You have to give back. Let's start with how you give back. How, how did you give back? Uh, raise money for any good cause. I said no to, I didn't say no. I said yes to everything and, and just kept on going with that. So give back, say yes to everything. Uh, were you being, was, was there any kind of strategy involved? You said just good causes? Or? Uh, in, in stocks and finance, we used to call it the spaghetti factor. You <laughs> throw the spaghetti to the refrigerator and whatever sticks you you go with that. Keep on going. You with keep it. on going with it. Okay. So um, what was sticking? I was doing food festivals. I was doing, um, you know, raising money for Feed More, raising money for March of Dimes. You know, just raising money for the local local charities, and I felt good too. Yeah. So you're doing anything to get involved in this community? To how did you find these things? Were you just Google searching or were no, you talking I would, to people? I would talk to people and then make the connections and connect the dots. It's a uh, you know Richmond is a, a slightly smaller market, so it was easier to put. The connections together. Yeah. And you said you have to have people do your marketing. What do you mean by that? Um, making sure that you create an experience at the restaurant and have the, have the guests be able to tell their friends that it, they had a great experience. Is there anything you did uh, aside from creating that great experience to kind of uh, initiate that, that process of having people do the marketing? Absolutely. Like <clears throat> Instead of giving them my business card, I would automatically be friends with them on Facebook. Okay. Or, you know, any kind of social media that. That's a good point. I think the business card is kind of a dying thing. I don't know why everybody feels the need to have business cards. It's like, it's 2018. I'd rather have you, like, oh, you want my business card? Well, here's my handle. Yeah. Here's my now handle. Here's my Facebook. Gr- exactly. Now yeah. you're growing, you're, you're following, you're in. Uh, People won't lose your handle. They can unfollow you, but they're not going to, like, lose yeah. that, you yeah. know? And um, if they're engaged, they'll keep track of you. They'll like, they'll like a post, they'll yeah. send a comment, they'll be like, I wish I was at that event. I think it's more interactive than a business card that becomes stagnant and just gets lost in your in the drawers of the kitchen. The so are you, are you touching tables and then telling people to follow you? Like yeah, I'm like you know, you could tell within the first ten seconds that if they're into your food. Hey, yeah. Mr. Smith, how's how was everything? And then either it's like it's fine or. How did you come up with that? You know, yeah, we're, they're going to show an interest. Yeah, right? they're they're ask gonna, questions. They're it's gonna like ask, dating. Yeah, it is totally <laughs> dating, and it's it's quality. You know, that's what we learn as a as a broker too to qualify your your clients. And so I do the same thing with my guests. I'm like, Hey, you know what? I want to, I want to build a relationship because I can only be in this business. If I have people that want to eat the food that I'm you say that to them. Well, no, I mean, that's, it's, that's the assumption. Yeah. I mean, everyone's educated and there are so many restaurants. How do you make a difference? Okay. Uh, make a difference by creating the relationships. I mean, there are people out there that, you know, that is the difference between dining and that's what you have to touch upon. You know, you, 
we have so many different chefs and they have their different followings. Yeah. How do they get their followings? I mean, it's the same thing. It's creating a relationship. Yeah. I mean, I'm friends with these guys now. After, you know, I've had my guests follow me from Hardshell to Max's to Patina. And at Patina, I was like, I took a pay cut. I was like, I'm just going to cook my food. We got best restaurant that year. And these, you know, the guests kept on showing up. And those are real, you know, those are the supporters. Those are your friends that support you day in and day out on a Tuesday night. (laughs) And there's, you know, it's like, so you have to give them, you have to give them a lot of respect. Yeah. Because I couldn't be where I am without them. I want to go deeper on this. Um, so once you, you get somebody's attention and you're trying to build that relationship. Oh, yes. uh, So you're doing like the, the big picture, uh, getting out there, doing these charities, uh, being like in the public eye. But how do you grow a relationship with a guest? What's one thing you do, a specific thing you do to grow a relationship with a guest? I try to memorize their names, the families. I, I try to remember their, their palates. How, where do you keep all this? Do you have a do you have a system to, to memorize no, it? Or? It's, it's in my head. I have notes. Maybe God, I wish I was that smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, like you know, uh, Mrs. Lowe loves um, the combination of menu things. She comes in with her husband when he's in town. She'll you know, like it just sets it off. It's like I know what you like. Mm. You like scallops and duck together. But we even mentioned a. During the pre-interview chat, that you, there's technologies too that you can be leveraging. You don't have to memorize all this. No. I mean, you should want to memorize it, and you should you should yeah. be attentive, and you should be asking these questions. But you can also put it like we put phone numbers in our cell phone. We can yeah. put this data into a CRM process. There, there is an open table does a great job exactly. of, of keeping that toast as well. Um, as we scale, everything is about scaling. Correct. To yeah. be More successful. We, we use these technologies. And we take these notes so that we can customize that experience. Yeah. So is that something you plan on doing to absolutely have a, can you, oh man, there's no way you can transfer, transfer the CRM data from one restaurant to the next that you previously worked at. Is there, that'd be sick. I mean, we, we, you know, I do. (laughs) You probably don't have access to that information. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the developing, what's that? What do I call Richmond? I call it an emerging market, just yeah. like Russia in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, anything's possible if we come up with that technology, people will probably buy it. Yeah. So let's talk about the decisions you're making as far as your job. So we're talking so much about uh, building like this reputation and getting back and involved in the community. But what, what determined the first job you got? You said you kind of going back two steps and yeah, doing yeah, easy yeah. food again? Uh, quality. Quality. Um, execution, the artistic side. So to get to where you want to be, like what I figured out for myself is that I have to cook at not uh, at the level that I was trained at, but a level that was uh, marketed. I think um, you got to train, you got to work at a place that you weren't trained at, but marketed at. Sorry, did I catch that right? Say it again. So you, you in a nutshell, you cook, you train at a fine, fine dining, five star, five diamond level to be able to cook everything else underneath it. Okay. And so to take a job, not cooking, fine dining, you're, you're scaling back, but you're increasing your, your market. And so there's, there's more people that will eat the, the burgers, the steaks and the, mm-hmm. the shrimp. Mm-hmm. You take that. What I figured out is that if you take that knowledge and then interject some of that fine dining technique, it just becomes more available to the masses. Okay. So you're scaling back yourself to be more approachable and then you're going forward with the people that, that you earn their respect in food. 
Okay. So you, you dial it back to appeal to the broad masses. That's correct. And then once you get people on board, yes. you have like a one or two menu items that kind of take it to the next level. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. It's like a, an amused bush too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's what we're going to try. But you don't, do you, do you have those menu items from the beginning that kind of take it to the next level or do you wait until you get that foundation? I wait, I waited till I got that foundation. How long, how do you know when it's ready to take it to the next level? You just take a chance. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, all right, we're going to go with this, uh, yeah, and this see crazy. It, and look at the numbers and see yeah. how, how it does. We'll look at the numbers. We'll get the feedback. We'll just, you know, I'll put everything into a, uh, a database and see what it scales with the rest of the, yeah. the rest of the menu. So when you came back, when you came into the Richmond market, I should say, um, you probably could have watched onto almost any team you wanted to with the experience you had. Yeah. How'd you choose where to go? I just, uh, cho- chose it from, you know, reputation. Okay. Um, market, uh, difference of foods. So you spent four years, right? I believe um, before grow before joining the Richmond Restaurant Group. Is that the right? Yeah, four years. Yeah. Well, the, the the first year, year one, six years ago, was coming over from Maryland to work at the Hard Shell. Okay, and that was a restaurant that opened in the suburbs of Richmond. Okay. So how did you know it was ready to go to the next restaurant? Or was it all, were these? I mean, we had clashes. I wanted to grow the, grow the menu and it's yeah. like, oh, right, we're going to stick to this. And I'm like, well, I don't want to just cook that. Yeah. And so I got to, I got to figure out my next move. My next move was to open a French gastro pub. In, that didn't happen, did it? Yeah. So you I, opened it? I opened Max's on Broad with, okay. a, with another restaurant okay. group. Okay. And so that I, you know, interjected my menu knowledge. Were you a partner? I was not a partner. Okay. So you opened as the executive chef? Opened as the exec- executive chef. Okay. Yeah, it was fun. It was, uh, you know. It was, was it the first restaurant you ever opened with your vision of food? Uh, this was like 70 per- 60 to 70% was my vision. The well, rest- don't you need like one whole vision though yeah, like, yeah that, you a, the, a vision to be 100 I mean, that's what was so hard about it was like i had this great idea and then the owner would interject his ideas that didn't kind of fold so you in. guys had different visions yes and i got so fi- i got fired what would you have done in that situation <laughs> to make sure you had the same vision from the get-go i would spend more time in the kitchen with that person that wanted to write the menu i think you, you can you can develop a menu with a with a partner if you sit sit together and be like all right this works together but if you're if you're just saying that i like this on the menu because i want this on the menu so what did that transaction look like this relationship you had with this this gentleman for max's um you had a vision for a french restaurant yep and then you put it out into the universe and he said hey i'll invest in that oh no no he had it he had it going but he didn't have it like fine-tuned okay so he had he had his own vision going and you joined the team that's correct so maybe his vision wasn't quite aligned with uh yeah, yeah. There maybe, was there maybe were, he should have done more time researching to see what you wanted to do as a chef. Yeah, I think so. But I think, but ultimately, you were working for him. Yeah, ultimately, and I think that's where I had the issue of, um, I guess, control of of efficiencies because when you're working, autonomy. Yeah, autonomy. It's it's, yeah. it's like it's like putting the fryer on the opposite side of the kitchen. You can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's just it doesn't work. Okay, so how long did you sit, stay there before moving on to the next? A, a year, a year, a year. Is that kind of like a, a rule of yours? One year or something like that? Um, if you're not happy after a year, you you have to kind of either make more money or or just move on and try to find opportunities. So now we're looking at like 2014, 2015. You move on to the next operation. Yeah, which is Patina. Patina. What was going on there? Patina was um. You know, all the it was rebranded. Uh, local family purchased it. They wanted to bring in a chef. They had a good chef in there, and uh, so I, I went there. I took a, a pay cut because I wanted to do my 
do my art. Yeah. Did my art, you know, <laughs> and I worked my butt off. Brought, you know, there's not too many cooks in the suburbs, so I had to carpool all my cooks from the city okay. into the, into Patina. Which city were you pulled from? Here. Oh, right. From okay. Richmond uh, to the West End. So okay, the West End's about you, 20 you. minutes, and uh, we would just carpool. And I was like, you know, it was actually great. You went and you picked all these guys up? Oh, yeah. Was up? There was only two, uh, two, three guys, and we'd talk about food all the way into the restaurant, and then we'd have a, you know, we just cook good food. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lesson there. I mean, how many people are willing to go pick up their crew to make sure they have the right team? Not, not too, ma- not too not, many. Not too many. <laughs> not yeah. too many. Man, you got to make it happen, though. We'll, you got to make it happen. You want to, and you want to make a, you want to push these guys to do better. And I was like, you know, what, you know why you guys are riding with me in this car? Because you're dedicated to your craft. You're, this is a career for How'd you. How did you find these guys? Were they working with you before in the other yeah, restaurants? They, one of them opened Max's on Broad with me. The other one worked with me at, you know, sporadically throughout time, and you know, just the timing worked out and. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do patina. We're going to you know, do this new American thing and with the little Asian twists. And they're okay. just like, you're, you're nuts, but we'll try. So, so did you open this restaurant with a partner? This one was a pre-existing um, uh, restaurant. The chef decided to leave. Okay. So I, I took the reins of that restaurant. And did you completely change the menu? I did. So I did. What, how long were you there? A year? Uh, two years. Two years. Almost two years. Okay. What was that process like? What, what were the big lessons here? Uh, the big lessons were, you know, Pre-existing restaurant. There's a lot of inefficiencies. Um, it's in. It was in a strip mall, so it was kind of not very sexy. Yeah. Uh, private dining room didn't exist. Uh, the clientele had, you know, had kept the business running. You yeah. Know? You just so had to keep it really the interesting. The clientele and fun. kept the business running, so they had yeah. some kind of loyalty. They there. did have a lot of loyalty. So what? Do, what do you think it was about this restaurant that garnered that loyalty? There was. Uh, they've been. Uh, written up in Richard Magazine like 20 years ago. Okay. And so they, it had a following. and 20 it, years ago, they yeah. were able to maintain that following. Yeah, so they had you know a little bit of a following. That was like the the only restaurant in the West End 20 years ago. And then I was like, oh, I'll just go back there and see what I could do. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. I brought it back, you know, got best restaurant that year, like okay. 2014. So you said that you, when you came on board... Um, you had a, there were some issues with the, the systems, you said, and uh, you had to kind of revamp the... Yeah. How, yeah. how do you go about... When you, when you join a team that already exists, right? They have their systems, they have their, their processes, they have their up. culture. Yeah, yeah. So how, do you, how do you come on board as a new chef with a, a restaurant that maybe not be, might not be at your standards? And I'm making assumptions here. Yeah. Um, how, how do you get people on board? How do, you, how do you transform the people, the culture, the, the operation? You show them how much you care. And the dollars show up afterwards. Like they're How tip- do you show them you care? You just work super hard. You keep the ki- kitchen clean. You're cooking this cuisine that's like out of control. They're like, they haven't seen it before. They're just, you know, it's just, it's just multiple layers of the service, the hospitality, the experience, the server knowledge. Yeah. And I'm there training them and, and you know, working with the, the cooks and working with the servers to educate them about local products, lo- local produce and, how do we come up with things and how the flavor profiles work and, and what, what, what works? I mean, if it works and if it tastes great and the experience is good, then we just keep on building upon that. So you push them, you show them care, but I'm hearing from you too that you're also educating them. You're growing yes. them. You're, you're giving them new knowledge. They're, they're getting this sense of as, as, as if they're growing as people. And why is that so important? That, that just gives them a foundation for their success. So instead of just being like, yeah, here's a special, well, here's a special from 
you know, say Automala Farms. You know, Linda is the you know the mom, and you know Luke is the the driver. Tyler is the driver, and Clay is the dad. And these these are Berkshire hogs, and they have a per, you know you get you get your your hogs from uh, Almod too, over just west of uh, yeah, Charlottesville. Yep. Everybody gets their yeah, hogs in Waynesboro. Yeah, it's awesome. They're, they're, the farm is incredible, by the way. I got so, a tour. Oh, you got a tour. So they, they you know Automala. The reason why this pork is so good is because it eats the Automala berries. Or you know they're just happy animals and mm-hmm. and you know we were trying to showcase the farm the farmers their hard work their dedication to this great product why does that matter because it, it just it just transfers like the, the microeconomics of it so we sell this this product and the money goes back to the farm it's it's instant gratification i mean yeah. they can pay their bills they can pay their water bills they could you know they can have this property to raise these great animals and so it, you're injecting the, this culture, that's the, these values into these people that otherwise Absolutely. weren't there. You're giving them a reason yeah. to want to There is a up. name behind that guy. Yeah. There, see that piece of pork right I there? And you know that pepper? That's Dave Hunsicker. You know, you know how he does this? He has two acres and it's very efficient. You know, like yeah. you, you have to know it. Did you get resistance when you, when you come on board and you try to change things? I, I do you think, get resistance? Of course you get a little bit of resistance because the cost of it's a little bit more expensive. But you well, transfer- that's, that's ownership resistance. It's, it's yeah, it is. So how do you deal with ownership resistance? I was th- I was talking about resistance from the people you're leading uh, and getting them on board and and changing some of their bad habits. But how do you how do you transform? How just, do you change an owner's perspective? You have to be more stubborn than the owner. You okay. have to fight diligently for what you believe in. It's kind of like lobbying for the right thing. And, yeah. and I think you know with with politics and all this stuff, it's like you have to be your own yeah. your own lobbyist. Yeah. It's like ah, I'm, we're gonna do this. Until it fails, <laughs> yeah. But you gotta, you gotta have some balls to talk to the owner like that. I mean, ultimately, oh, yeah. isn't there? It's their baby, right? It is. It is. And I think that's when you start. When you guys, don't, when you you and the owner don't see eye to eye, it's time to move. Okay. And I think it just becomes less amicable and less of a business, and then it just becomes a grudge match. So you spent two years at um, Patina. Yes. And uh, is that what happened here? Were you not seeing eye to eye with the owners again? I, I actually wanted to move back to. The city, because Washington th- or Richmond, back in the back Richmond. in the Richmond city. Okay. I mean, twenty minutes makes a big difference. A different market. I was seeing everything kind of come together in yeah. Richmond. I wanted to make my move back into in the town. So let's dive into that. Like, I mean, that's a big part of being a, su- a successful restaurateur and restaurant operator is the market you're in, paying attention to the market. So what was specifically happening in this market that told you it was time to move? I saw a lot of growth. I saw. I've seen a lot of chefs making moves, opening restaurants, and being successful, cooking and interjecting their their cuisine in in Richmond, you know, Richmond so City. What made it uh, unique to Richmond, where you couldn't do the same thing twenty minutes outside of the city? Uh, just the density of people. I just feel like it's more accessible for the West End, the East End, the North Side, and South Side. Okay, you know, it just it just seemed like a more centralized location to got it to be. To be part of it, to so be part of the culinary scene. In 2016, is that when you left um, and joined the Richmond Restaurant Group? Yes. Okay. And what was going on with this restaurant? I mean, at this time, how many restaurants did they have going? Uh, they had six, five or six at okay. that point. Um, my, I so I worked with them prior f- four years ago. Prior to that, and I they knew what they're. I think they knew what they were getting. Which restaurant was the one that you were working with? Uh, Hard Shell, the Hard, Hard Shell on the South okay. Side. So you knew the people on this group. I knew, I knew, I knew the owners, the investors. I knew the whole, the whole. What was the original reason for leaving the Hard Shell? To go to Max's to do the French cuisine. Okay, because you were doing casual dining before, and that wasn't yeah. jiving with you. Yeah, casual, fine, and casual. Then, and now you went back to the Richmond Restaurant Group. Mm-hmm. Um, did they have an opportunity that was more at your pace? At your was there like a 
why why go back after go back for to be able to be part of a multi-unit restaurant group so i had never had that experience okay and so I, was that the objective to get the the multi-unit experience i thought it was okay <laughs> um i think you know working with the return to restaurant group taught me you know how to be at multiple places trying to interject training trying to create they taught you how to do this no you had to figure it out yourself okay and so i taught myself how to be part of a a restaurant group and trying to interject my my ideas throughout the different the different restaurants because they all they all have different uh themes so five concepts was it six concepts Uh, six concepts i want to say so So six concepts unique concepts uh and you you had to learn how to interject yourself into all those six different concepts how did you do that uh, lots of miles on my car and <laughs> <clears throat> try to build those relationships with the cooks and the chefs as fast as possible. Okay. <clears throat> try to make a difference and show them efficiencies in execution. Uh, just showing them different, you know, like how to be, be better, do okay. better, be better, push yourself. <laughs> yeah. So there were, um, what did the hierarchy look like? So you're the executive chef and, and you're There's, responsible for these six chefs beneath you at these six different restaurants. That's correct. And were they, what were their titles? Chef de cuisines? They're, they're executive chefs. So okay. I was a corporate executive chef. And then I had an executive chef at each one of the restaurants and each one of the restaurants uh, diff- had different scales, different models of, you know, one would be like a hundred seat restaurant. The next would be 300 seats. Other, you know, so, yeah. so you had this, you know, more, some of the chefs were more hands-on. Some of the chefs were more, you know, um, managers. Okay. Or clipboard chefs. Yeah. So, so you have to really adjust your management style. You know, the three types of manager managing is autocratic, democratic, and laissez-faire. So you're always changing your management styles at every location. Dive into those three different types of manager styles. Explain uh, them for us. So the, the three styles you dive into in any situation in business is uh, autocratic, democratic, and laissez-faire. Autocratic means this is the only answer is mine. Autonomy, one, one yeah, way, this is, my way, this is or the one, way. Yeah, one way, or you're getting fired, or and then you have the, you know, the democratic is okay. Two thirds, we'll go with that. And lazy affairs, let's see what they if they make the right decision, and then guide them, and then just kind of like lead them to the to the water. <laughs> okay. And say, uh, it's, it's it's just you know every person has a different education background and a drive and for their career. And, so when you're first meeting these six separate chefs with their six separate egos and their six separate visions. Cause you had your own vision at a time where people weren't listening to what you want to do. That's correct. So now you're kind of, you know, sympathetic from their, their point. How, how do you, how do you approach all these people and create those win-win situations uh, where they get to have that creative freedom? Like you were in search of back in the day. Yeah. Um, but you're also being profitable. How do, how do you find that balance? You just have to be a buffer and know that you're not going to have all the answers and you have to figure out the end goal for the, the investors, the restaurant owners, and then also the end goal for the chef and try to be that conduit for those guys to work together to be successful. I think that is the most important thing. You kind of give up your ego at a certain point and then you just become a mentor. Mm-hmm. And I, and you know, like if people don't want to be mentored, you know, it's unfortunate, but we are just trying to give them the right, 
the right tools to be Give successful. Give me a specific example of where, where you had to be that mentor, where you had to remove yourself and be that. It was a, the conduit? Is that the, the conduit, yeah. The conduit to someone's success. So what is a conduit? It's a thing that holds wires. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it's like, so you have these little tubes that have multiple wires that get to the to the outlet so you can plug in your Wi-Fi. Okay. Uh, my, my, you know, like I have... So I have a restaurant. So you're holding things together. I'm holding things together, you know, making sure that the, the owners are happy and the chefs are happy and the cooks are happy and the servers are happy with the, with the chefs. Give cooking. me a specific <laughs> example where you had to come in and be the conduit and how you walk, how you, how you negotiated that, how you held it together. You have to, you know, so say someone's not yielding enough on a, on a piece of fish. Well, this is a basic example. It's like, all right, let me see your technique and how you cut your fish. And so you want to yield six ounces. How do you do that? All right, so... First of all, you're very inefficient because the way your feet are standing, you're going to be tired in about 30 minutes. And yeah. You're choosing your surfaces first. So it's all the foundation. It's like, so how do you break somebody down without breaking them down? Because I feel like it's some, especially with a chef who's the top dog in their restaurant, you're coming in, you're critiquing them. Is yeah. there a way to approach this person without, no, without breaking them they're down? They're just going to call you an asshole anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but is there a way you can do it where it, it's not necessarily I'm, I'm criticizing you, but I'm making you better? Yeah, you tell them that. I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to show you how to do this faster and more efficient. I mean, you can use it or or not. And then they there's a little bit of resistance, but eventually they'll they'll tend to so gravitate you're starting to with the end in mind. You're not That's coming. Correct. You're not coming up and saying, "Hey, do it like this." You're starting by saying, "Hey." There's a way. This is where I want to get. Here's where you are now. Here's where I want to get you yeah. if I show you this new way. So you're looking out for their best interest, and you're making that clear in the beginning. Ex- absolutely. Okay. I was like, you want this job? You can have my job. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to be the one teaching people how to cook and, mm-hmm. and how to have those higher standards. Have you ever had somebody get defensive? Absolutely. How would you, you deal with that? You just... Buy him a beer after the shift, you know, like, hey, <laughs> you know, sorry, I was like a little bit aggressive, but you know, I have a lot of pressures. We, we, you have pressures. This is a part of the industry. We have to, we have to get along or, or not. I yeah. Mean, we can choose to work together or we can choose not to. It's okay. free will. I mean, it's free will. If you understand and I understand where you're coming from, then we should be able to, to execute what we need to get done. Mm-hmm. And all we want to do is, you know, be good people. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I can go to sleep easier at night knowing that i tried my best to to mold you to do the best to be the best chef you can be at this point in your in your career i dig it and it's 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 kind of like church it's you have to believe it or you don't (laughs) yeah right so okay you spent two years with the virginia restaurant group yeah how did you know it was time to go on do your own thing i came to a point where the chefs and the menus i felt like it was time to it wasn't my, it wasn't my time to be there anymore. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird feeling. It's like, yeah. so how, how do, how does anything happen? It's like getting a room for six nights at the loft. <laughs> yeah. it, it just, you know, you, you create these opportunities, you market yourself to the right people and you put it out there in the universe. So did this opportunity to open your own place come to you or did you go to it? It came to me. How did it come to you? What form? Uh, as a phone call. Okay. Uh, you know when you when you try to generate revenue or you try to you know seed capital and venture capital and you know angel money. I mean that's all financial take you know financial terms. Yeah. So you have to run yourself like a business. I created a brand for myself. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know the different. You know I don't know if the stars aligned that night or yeah. or, or someone just felt like. That it was, it was your time. It's your time. Okay. So did you, did you put it into the universe? I did. You're, you're looking to open your own place or you're looking for partners? I did. What means, what channels did you put that out there? I would use just conversation. 
you know, what would you, what would you think about opening a restaurant? And you would just talk to people. Yeah. I was like, you know how much it costs. How'd you know? You knew people who are in the position to support that kind of thing. And you would, you would just ask them what they would want to do. You put, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. You, you would ask them, you know, in, in business, what, what, what drives you? Because all these people that are going to invest are successful. Where so. are you finding these people? Were they guests in your restaurant? Guests in the restaurant, just okay. talking to people, talking to the masses, yeah. using the, um, you know, one of my favorite books, Outliers, and trying to figure it all out. Just read that yeah. literally within the past week. Yeah. Not the past week, the past month. Yeah. Because uh, Malcolm Gladwell's stuff just keeps getting recommended on the show. Yeah. I mean, Outliers was huge. It was. Uh, so take the lesson it, from that book that you applied to the situation of trying to find potential investors. Yeah. Yeah. You just like. You can't, you can't unquantify somebody as being an investor. You don't know. So I market myself to everybody and in hopes of raising capital. And it just happens. So when you say you market yourself, are you just literally going to people that you think might be in the position to be an investor or a partner and say, what, and you ask them what... Yeah. Hey can, you, hey, can you lose like a million dollars? Would that be cool? <laughs> how do you ask somebody if they can lose a million dollars? How do you do that nonchalantly? Do you, do you know their reputation and down know that they yeah, do well? Well, I think it's it's that that branding of being serious at what you do and finding your craft and finding your niche and being the best at that and knowing how to manage multiple le- levels and multiple units with multiple different um, disciplines. Okay, I think oh. you just have to you have to create your um, your resume. But not create, you know, not create it as a paper resume, but create that resume as network. a network. Yeah, as a network resume. Yeah. Like, okay, so who who are you? Right? Who am I? Yeah, I mean, that's why we we say like, who who's that guy? We don't know, but the potential is greater than the negative. Yeah. So I'm always looking up at the potential. It gets me in trouble sometimes. Yeah, but I'm I'm not just, I'm still not sure which lesson from the outlier is, is. Was that one of the lessons that I overlooked that you can't? Un- um, you just have to be part of something. Um, the what I what I figured out in Outliers is that the ten thousand hours you become a master of something, so you become a master of yourself. And, and how do you master yourself? Is to get the reputa- the, the reputation or the reps, uh, the repetitious of doing the right thing over and over again. Yeah. I think that's what that's what carries you to through your career is how you handle yourself. Yeah, in and out in and out of the industry. So yeah, just a little background information. The Outliers is a book that basically looks at some of these people who are extreme successes, and it looks at the certain variables that helps these people stand out from the crowd. That's uh, people that are not amongst the others, but they're on a you know a, a plane of their own, a field of their own, and what unique things happen in their life to get on that that plane of like nobody even com- competes with me. Uh, so it's a really interesting book. Um, so I still don't know if I'm picking up the the thing that made you an up. Uh, is the 10,000 hours of experience is what made you an outlier? I think, I, I think it's just, um, you know, I'm, old, I'm older. So my, you know, starting my career at 30 and everyone's yep. starting at 18. So now I'm an outlier there. Yeah. I have a finance background, you know, I have, I'm an outlier there because most chefs yeah. are artistic. Okay. I'm looking at, you know, my marketing standpoint and branding positioning for being a cook, which I am just a cook. Yeah. Is an out, you know, I'm an outlier, but a well-educated cook. Yeah. 
which now becomes a chef, and okay. then a chef that's cooking Filipino cuisine in the time in the South. Is, so you're looking at your unique selling propositions, the things that make you you, and you're putting correct. those out into the universe. That's correct. Okay, that's correct. Gotcha. So that's my that's my gotcha, gotcha. that's my cool. I think I, I appreciate. I mean, it works. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's working for me so far. Yeah. Right. So um, Filipino guy cooking in Richmond. You know. So when this person that came to you said, "Hey, I am willing to lose a million dollars." Yes. Um, when they came to you, are you willing to, to talk about who your business partners are? Are they are they public or are they? No, on, it's it's private. Yeah, okay. really that's, uh, I understand that. Until until we become successful, then it'll be public. Okay, um, how? Because you had experiences in the in the past, correct? Where you, your vision wasn't the same, and that's you, correct. And you end up in different places. So, what did you do this time around to, to make sure the vision that you guys are on the same exact page that you're pulling in the same direction that you're all going to the same place? We are. Um, so, I think the in the past, the investor is more part of the hospitality industry the investor now is less part of the industry and has more of the business structure behind it and so we're looking at you know not changing the menu but changing the tech the the way to run a business what way and what way are we changing the way to run a business uh looking out for staff being a f- uh, innovators and so not. you're not starting with food first you're starting with culture first we are starting with the culture first Correct. how do you start with the culture first uh, you have the right investor <laughs> that <Okay>. believes it. <laughs> it's not about. It is about raising capital. It is. It is. But I think the human spirit is more valuable than than people take. You know, take for they take it for granted. And yeah. So Why I, is it so valuable? Because there's more. There's more power. There's more. There's more willingness to be successful with yeah. that spirit. So how do you leverage that human element? That human uh, spirit. How you create efficiencies in life. So how do you? How do you? You know? How do you have a great? You know? A great. Uh, cuisine or dining experience you have the right kitchen to create that you have the right service it, it's all like a ball of of things it's a it's layers upon layers and I don't think there's a formula for it you just have to get lucky yeah and have the right people that believe in your 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 vision of this is not this is not the end all, but we're going to do the best we can yep. and really believe in and with conviction not just be yeah I want I want the best for my, my mm-hmm. employees no you have to be there to have the best for your employees. Yeah. So what's one thing that uh, you've learned in the number of restaurants you've worked in uh, where you look reflecting back on, we didn't do it right that time. Uh, if I'm ever going to open my own place, this is one thing I'm going to do to make it to, to, to do it right. Uh, what is that one thing that you're going to do differently this time? Aside from making it about the people, one, one thing that you can drop on us that you, you intend to do differently to, to increase your odds of success. I want to take the technology and innovation that is around today and really implement it. Um, I think a lot of restaurants are antiquated and old and use old technology. I think we have to use these, these things to create efficiencies and that'll make a better life. Are you, have you chosen all of your technology yet? Are you still searching? I'm still searching. I mean, I'm, you know, like we're four weeks out and I'm, I'm shopping hard and looking yeah. and, you know, trying to see what overlaps the best. Which technology has you the most excited right now? Right now? Yeah. We can come back to this question. Yeah, that's a, there's a question in the speed round that will, that will tap on that. Um, all right. So the person you were 20 years ago, right? Reflecting back, that person you were getting into this industry. How are you different today? How have you transformed today? Who, who are you today versus the person you were 20 years ago? I'm not as angry as I was 20 years ago. I was angry. I was, angry, I was yelling. I was like um, Gordon Ramsay on Hell's Kitchen. What the F? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, really demanding myself 
and demanding a lot from other other chefs that work with me, I would get in, I would literally get in fights in the kitchen. Well, yeah. this is like you know old school. Get off my line, you know. Clean, you know, do it this way or, or leave. Yeah. Uh, now more laissez faire. Let's let's guide it. And let's, why does that way work better? You know, that's what I, I realized when I changed my styles when I became more successful. When I wasn't such an asshole, yeah. And then it became a little bit more of a coach, okay, a mentor. I think it just people want to to be that at that level. Mm-hmm. They they want to. So you were more command and control before. Now you're more got like trust and track. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, you have to, I mean, if you want to grow your business and you grow a restaurant, you have to have people in the right places. So choosing partnerships with, you know, your team members, they're not employees anymore. They're part of the team. It's part of the family. There was a one thing. Have you, do you have a hard stop that I should know? Was it the way you pass it? Nope. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. This has been a great conversation. Oh, thank uh, I you. This place is starting to get pretty busy too. Yeah. So we're going to maybe get out of here. We're taking up too much space. <laughs> nah, they're cool. All right. We'll be right back. Thanks. All right. I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based restaurantethics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get a three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there all right we're back and the first question i have for you is what's your it a factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success hustle nice <laughs> all the hustle <laughs> what is your biggest weakness my biggest weakness is over committing okay. uh, lots of Lots of times I say yes. I'm like, oh man, I should really take a break. And how are you better today? How are you? How, how are you not doing that as much today? I hire a really good team. They believe in the vision, and they are part of my life. So beautiful efficiency. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Uh, what do you want to do when you grow up? Okay, what are you looking for? I'm looking for someone that has a drive that's doing research on what they want to do. You know, having what, intention. What, yeah, having an intention. Having people. You know, reading a book that that pertains to their career choices. So if they if they want to be a chef, you know, what, what cookbook are you reading? You know, what is your what's your what style are you going to be striving for? What's your biggest challenge today? Our biggest challenge today is finding the, the drive of staff. I mean, mm. we're driving our team members. So we see staff members, but we also, I want team members. I don't want just staff. I don't want people just to be occupying a space. I want people to have um, <clears throat> care and love and, you know, they love what they do. And it, ma- it makes a difference. Yeah. How are you going to make sure that happens? Hopefully through 
multiple layers of interviews. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's more more referrals than anything. Yeah. I think everyone that knows like the the vision and knows me will will end up with their resume. Got you. Uh, share one code of conduct or thing you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be. Uh, excel in everything you do. Be direct. Um, always communicate what needs to be what what needs to happen. Um, have people that are like minded around you and hospitality. I mean, just be hospitable. You never know who's, who you're talking to. Mm. So. What what is your um, one standard of service you teach your team? So something that's standard or going to be standard within your four walls, but is not standard within the industry. Um, this new restaurant you're building. We uh, I'm going to take some of the, the, the foundation I learned in Hawaii, use the word ho'okipa. It means hospitality in, in Hawaii, but I think it also means like the, you know, you always learn, you always executing what you've learned from the past. And I, I think that's what everyone needs to know that we can only get better from, from our foundation. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's deeper of, you know, that's how you build that relationship, being genuine. So, that that word, that Hawaiian word, say it one more time. Ho'okipa means that you can only learn from your past. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like a hospitality. You know, it is. Um, you know, showcasing your talents and just being part of the environment. I, yeah. I, I, you know, you really feel it. You know, when when you are in this world, you're so small. Just let's add some value to it. Mm, I love it. Um, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Uh, the Millionaire Next Door. No, just kidding. Because <laughs> uh, that, that book was a book that we read when I was in finance, and it was, you never know who's, who's your, your next client, your yeah. next guest. And that's a huge point right there. Like, and when you're working in a restaurant, you never know who is going to be, who you're serving, who's right across from you. That's correct. You're going to treat every second, every moment of your life as if you're on a job interview because your future investor could be right it, it in front be. of you. That guy with the Ford Taurus 1986 has you know, $10 million. Yeah. He'll be at your restaurant. And he'll be an investor. He'll believe your vision. Was that the, that wasn't the book you wanted to recommend though? You said no, no, kidding. no. So what's, what's the one you're talking about? <laughs> the book that I'm talking about is you know the Outliers, of course. Yeah, that's that's definitely a um, a book that you should you should read to you know value yourself and try to figure out where you want to be in this career and where do you want to position yourself. That is uh, anything from Malcolm Gladwell. Outliers. What's the other? The E Myth. Uh, no, the E Myth is uh, Michael Gerber. Michael Gerber. That was a good uh, book. Yeah, well. that's a, that's a, that's a must read for anybody who wants to open this industry. It's all about how to the entrepreneurial the entrepreneurial myth. Oh, I'm gonna open a restaurant and it's gonna be rainbows and butterflies yeah. and leprechauns. Yeah, uh, yeah. handing me pots of gold. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> solo chef, the making of a chef. I mean, there's um, uh, culinary artistry. There's three books right there that you should read. Okay. Yeah. That way you can have the foundation of flavor profiles. Profiles, You can uh, open a business and, and, and believe in yourself and know that you are, you know, that's your business is food. Share an online resource or tool you uh, leverage or uh, access. An online resource for, I mean, I just use the um, restaurant business periodicals just to see what the, what the majority is doing. And also look at the uh, James Beard. Just restaurant industry peer articles is there periodic periodicals where, where do you find those uh, restaurant uh, the restaurantbusiness.com the restaurantbusiness.com yeah it, it's it's just good to see the gauge of what the nation's doing wherever you are in the world yeah absolutely. Um, I think you just try to position yourself where you are and try to position yourself where you want to be and to see the scale of the scalability of things and where you want to be is a is a very valuable exercise. Absolutely. And uh, what is one technology you're about to adopt 
and that you're really excited about that you think you're going to see a good return on investment with? I think my lighting in the restaurant is going to be the the best. Why is that so important? I think uh, we when you when you think about advertising and the advertising dollars spent on, on magazines and social media and everything, I think actually the people taking great pictures of your food will, will turn will turn around. Um, exponentially. Yeah. I'm afraid to take pictures of food when I'm, cause I'm such a bad photographer that, and especially cause like I know that chefs get pissed when they get shitty pictures of their food. Yeah, it's red. Um, oh my God. It's red. <laughs> <laughs> What's that red so filter? So you can be proactive to, um, you know, put the right lighting in to, to, to shine your food in the best mm-hmm. light. Literally. Well, the, the restaurant was a box and now it's a, a box with a lot of windows. Yeah. And the windows, uh, natural light is the uh, best light. The best light. What are you going to do at night? Uh, LED lights. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so if this is the last question. Okay. It's a doozy. You ready for it? Yes. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success that you could leave behind for the good of you know humanity, the restaurant industry, and for your legacy, what would they be? Give back to the community. Yep. Uh, be a good father. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and just live life to the fullest. I mean, that, that this is an adventure and it doesn't stop. Awesome. Great conversation today. Chef Mike, thank you so much thank for taking you, the time to share your story, your advice, and, and everything. So how can we connect with you if we want to maybe come join your team or you want to come uh, check out what you what you got going on in Richmond what's the best way to connect yeah, you can uh, send me an email at info at perchrva.com check out my website you know www.perchrva.com we'll be opening in, in a couple of weeks here so we're, we're looking to interview and get a great great team aboard nice and um, who's somebody you can call out somebody that you admire in this market that you think I should get on the show to be a guest mentor? Uh, Lee Gregory, Jason Alley, Jay Bear. Got Jason Alley on the show already. Nice. Uh, Lee Gregory is on my hit list. That's awesome. So I'm getting after him. Yeah, bu- cool. uh, Brittany Evans. I would love to get Brittany Evans on the show. Walter Bundy. All right, I got some good names. And if you can help me connect, I'd yeah, love Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Chef, thanks again for everything. There is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. All right, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Mike Ledesma, man, dropping bombs of knowledge. Here are the big takeaways for me today. Uh, the more risk, the higher the reward. Have your menu meet the skills of your team. I thought that was a really cool nugget that hasn't come up yet on the show. Uh, growing your relationships with your guests. He has some great advice on how to do that. Uh, you're only as good as your team, so you know, really put that time into... Uh, developing your staff and also developing your owners and getting them on board. Uh, Lastly, the last lesson, which was a great one. You don't know where your future investor is going to be or where they're going to come from. So treat everybody like they're your future investor and just put it out there. Ask questions, get to know your guests, get to know who can make your dreams come true. You got to take control of this. Be proactive awesome stuff today. Thank you again, Mike Ledesma. All right, guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, and on Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. As you're listening to this, I'm in San Antonio, Texas, but I'm headed to Austin for a couple days, and then I'll be making my way to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. If you want to connect with me, if you know somebody I need to get on the show, I could use your help. Help me 
filter through who who needs to be made an example of. I'm listening to your request. Uh, you guys know better than I do. And then uh, after that, I think I'm making my way to the Northwest as long as everything goes according to plan. So uh, great stuff happening. Great interviews. I love being on the road. Uh, this the, the magic comes out. So, all right, guys, um, what else? Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I'm up, I'm up to 140 reviews on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much if you have left a review. And then lastly, just keep spreading the word. If you know of anybody who's aspiring to be great in the industry, put this podcast on their radar. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.